millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Look around. Everywhere is heartache. It's everywhere that you go. The pain of life that you know, when all else fails, and you long to be something better than you are today. I know a place where you can get away. It's called a dance floor, and here's what it's for. So come on, Vogue. Hi, I'm Jem Daduchu. I'm the presenter on Condensed Histories, and this time round, we're doing Madonna's Vogue. I have to say, I love, look, Every single one of these podcasts I put my heart and soul into, and I've been getting some really nice feedback. Thank you so much for that, guys. Even when I'm talking about something I don't like or don't rate, like Wild Wild West, wild, wild West. then it's still fun to sort of pick it to pieces. Obviously, it's a lot more fun when you're talking about stuff that you really do enjoy, like I think it was the very first one of these, Lord of the Rings. Is it secret? Is it safe? or it could be rocky or whatever. But the point is, I love all of these, but the ones I particularly have a little bit of fun with in my mind is when I do songs. I, I did one entire episode on multiple nursery rhymes. I mean, nursery rhymes take seconds to say, and yet I turned it into a 35 minute podcast. Although there were multiple nursery rhymes in that one. But when I did Stand and Deliver by Adam and the Ants, <laughs> or Money, Money, Money by ABBA. Those ones really stand out to me because those are like three minute songs and yet I end up spending 35 minutes talking about them. And here we are again with a song by uh, Madonna, Vogue. Came out in 1990. And if this is a little before your time, what you have to understand is that Madonna is, or at least was, a master of reinvention. I know that by the 1990s, she actually paid people to basically be on the scene, to be in the hottest nightclubs, to go to the art galleries, to attend various sort of art college meetings, to find out what was really hot, what were the young people really into, because by the time you get to 1990, she's a woman in her 30s. She's not necessarily at the cutting edge zeitgeist type stuff. Now, I'm going to be slightly controversial and say that Madonna is not the best singer in pop music, female singer. I mean, if you want, Celine Dion is demonstrably better. Mariah Carey has a much wider range. 
There are many other women who can sing better than Madonna. But if you want to talk about a pop starlet, basically, which is where Madonna was with her first breakaway hit in 1984 at the tender age of 26 with Like a Virgin. It was a very disposable pop song. And her competitor at the time was somebody like Cyndi Lauper with Girls Just Wanna Have Fun. And, and both of them had this kind of weird 80s street look to them. Both great pop acts, don't get me wrong. But the thing is, you would not have put money in the 1980s of Madonna to have been a force to reckon with 10 years later. She had clearly had a sell-by date, but the sheer mastery of Madonna is she's been able to reinvent herself over and over again and come up with these what sound like really new sounds. For example, you've got the song Frozen by her, not to be confused by the Disney musical. You're frozen when your heart's not open. Which was just at the time was like, I haven't really heard anything like this. And it was a huge hit. Then there was her kind of far more fun song called Music, which had Ali G, i.e. Sasha Baron Cohen in it before he was a big international star with the likes of Borat. If you, Madonna. You my driver? She knew her stuff, and for a time she was married to Guy Ritchie, for a time she was married to Sean Penn, and she's made some pretty impressive movies as well. She's been very well respected in Desperately Seeking Susan. So, Like a Virgin, big break, 1984, okay? Suddenly everybody's singing Like a Virgin. That song had such impact that in Quentin Tarantino's directorial debut, Reservoir Dogs, a very gritty, very tough crime drama, and, uh, you know, just rewrote indie cinema for the next 10 years. Everybody was trying to do a Quentin Tarantino movie in the 1990s. So, Like a Virgin comes out in 1984. Reservoir Dogs comes out in 1992. That's eight years later, and yet these tough bank robbers are sitting there in a cafe, and the opening of this movie is about, let me tell you what Like a Virgin's really all about. Let me tell you what Like a Virgin's about. It's all about a girl who digs a guy. I can't go any further than that because it gets very rude very quickly. And Reservoir Dogs is very sweary. It's very intense. I saw that film three times in the cinema when it came out. Every time I saw people walking out. First time I saw it, I was almost going to walk out of it. But I just thought, I'm going to sit through this. And I was absolutely blown away. For a movie that cost $4.60 in a packet of gum, which is set almost entirely in one location, not not exactly in one location, with very minimal actual action in it. It's all down to the dialogue. And yet the opening of it is about an eight-year-old Madonna song and everybody was hooked from that moment, showing how much Madonna had seeped into the pop culture. But if you like, a lot of her 80s stuff was kind of disposable. So yeah, she's got Like a Virgin, but then it may not technically be her first screen debut, but the thing that got her noticed was in Desperately Seeking Susan. She was not the Susan of the title, she was like the friend, but she was kind of the crazy wild friend, which is sort of very much playing into the kind of Like a Virgin image that she had at the time, but it went down really, really well. Then there was, admittedly it was a flop, but she was seen as really good in Dick Tracy as a femme fatale, which she was born to be. You're breaking and entering, you know. Are you gonna arrest me? 
particularly with that blonde hair. In fact, by then, she had actually stopped having the blonde hair and she begged them to not make her dye her hair for the movie, but they wanted a killer platinum blonde and she complied. Then in 1992, the rather forgotten but really good movie, A League of Their Own, the true story about the women's baseball league during World War II. The men are off fighting, everybody still wants to see sport, so the women get together and do a baseball team. That's one of the few occasions where Tom Hanks sort of plays a gruff guy. I think he, he's an out-and-out -out bad guy in a couple of movies, but in this particular occasion he's just kind of like the gruff one the, the the he's the drama that everybody's rubbing up against he's not a really lovable kind of guy managing girl ball players why don't we just get an organ grinder i can hop around and do a little dance where he's out and out bad guys and road to perdition that's a different story but that came out in 1992 so eight years on same year if you like as, as reservoir dogs but eight years on from like a virgin she's had a number of good movies however it is worth pointing out i'm cherry picking here in 1996 she even gets a golden globe for her performance in evita as the title star evita it's a musical she can sing She's proven that she can act. It's a bit of a no-brainer. I saw that in the cinema and reminded myself why I don't like Andrew Lloyd Webber. I just think it's terrible. Also, the most famous song from it, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, The Truth Is I Never Left You. She didn't leave. She she, she hasn't gone anywhere. So, yeah, it, it's... it's it's. Oh, I just... I Andrew Lloyd Webber just deeply annoys me. As I, as I referred to him, it's like, look, I love a good bit of pop and rock and stuff like that. You know, Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, Madonna. Yeah, I mean, this is cool, poppy, just entertaining stuff, right? And I like a bit of classical, a bit of Beethoven, a bit of Tchaikovsky, you know, Mozart, whatever. But sitting in the middle that's sort of not really classical and not really catchy is Andrew Lloyd Webber. I refer to him as the Big Mac and Fries of music. It's just sort of, it's, it just sits there. Nobody's really satisfied after a McDonald's meal and yes uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's like that so anyway point is Evita was a huge commercial success it was a huge critical success but 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 she has made some real stinker movies as well she hasn't done as many films as perhaps you might think because she doesn't terrible so with her new husband Sean Penn who goes on to win an Oscar not for this film Shanghai Surprise if you haven't heard of that one it's quite often on the list of some of the worst films ever made along with Swept Away where she plays a diva that's sort of round about the year I'm gonna say 2002 ish but then in the 90s there was this period of Iran thrillers things like basic instinct you know what I'm talking about I'm not gonna go into details here oh my Madonna of course had to do one she she had a she's quite a sexual person she'd done a number of sort of like raunchy photo shoots and things like that and so she did an erotic thriller with Willem Dafoe which I saw in the cinema called body of evidence and I'm, I'm going to give away the ending of body of evidence here but when she dies at the end of body of evidence I'm doing you a favor Never watch this film. It is terrible. Body of evidence when she, I think she is shot, sort of like leans backwards through a glass window and then falls off the edge of the house. The audience applauded because we just found it so leaden and dumb and trying so hard. And it's interesting. Some people just have 
it in one area of their life and it completely evaporates in another area. Another example would be Mick Jagger. Just mentioned the Rolling Stones, you know, the man redefined pop music in the 1960s. Oh, you're a Beatles fan, are you a Stones fan? He was electrifying on stage and was into his 70s. And yet almost every film he's ever done, he's terrible in it. It just didn't work for some reason. At the edge of my property, there's a dilapidated little house. But anyway, back to Madonna, back to Vogue. Because, as I said, she was kind of sort of trashy and street in the 80s. But Vogue marked a significant change. She became more arty. And as I said at the beginning here, I, I read out basically the first verse of Vogue. And considering it's a pop tune, it's actually full of pain and suffering. It's not upbeat and it's not the classic pop thing of like, I love you, you love me, now let's sing the chorus. Which is an awful lot of songs. No, this is about pain and suffering and release. But the critical thing about Vogue is while, yes, she's talking about dancing, this in 1990 was a pop video where it was in a classy black and white. And she goes back in the chorus later on to talk about some of the great fashion icons of the black and white golden era of Hollywood. And she's sort of posing like them as well. And I mean, she kind of riffed on this a few years earlier on Material Girl, where she was basically doing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend and even dressed up like Marilyn Monroe in that musical number. But this is overtly talking about fashion. She's redesigning herself and she's talking about timelessly classic looks. And so normally in this I say, and this is where we're going to go. Well, we're going to be sort of like skipping through the history of fashion and how people have identified their looks and stood out from the crowds across thousands of years and multiple civilizations. And hopefully you'll have fun with this. Now, one of the other things that, that Vogue is kind of alluding to is sort of identification. Madonna has always been a powerful activist for, for gay rights, for example. Not going to go into that area on this occasion. For a three-minute song, there's an awful lot there. I mean, this was also around about the time we eventually get Like a Prayer, which is highly controversial. People thought she had a black Jesus in it. If you actually pay attention to the actual video, Jesus isn't black. It's a saint. It's not Jesus himself. It's, it's controversial over nothing. It's a bit like Monty Python and the Life of Brian, where if you paid attention, you realise they're not going for the, the big name and you need to pay attention to the satire. The General Synod's Life of Christ. <laughs> the film deals with the rise to fame and greatness of a humble carpenter's son named Jesus Christ. But many people have seen in the film a thinly disguised and blasphemous attack on the life of Monty Python. <laughs> but that's, oh, in this case it was satire, it was about love, sort of comparing religious ecstasy and love to romantic ecstasy and love. Really, it's an interesting video. Although the weird thing is, is basically it flips between a church and a police station. And right at the end, it's when it's a police station, the organ's still in the back there, which I'm gonna say is not a standard piece of police equipment, but hey, it's a pop video. It makes more sense than other ones like Sledgehammer, which is widely considered one of the best pop videos ever and is one of my favorites. 
and is where Nick Park, the guy from Wallace and Gromit, he cut his teeth on Sledgehammer, the bit with the animated roast chickens, he did that bit. But yeah, so there are lots of crazy videos from the 1980s, and Madonna didn't do crazy videos, she did classy videos. And they only got more and more classy as the years wore on, because she was basically at the forefront of fashion. She, she was making fashion statements with what she had there. And that whole blonde hair was the the classic thing that blondes have more funds and it, it, particularly in the 20th century there's this image and i think maybe still today that you know blondes for some reason are more desirable and and therefore lots of women sort of dye their hair blonde but with madonna i mean she had that sort of gap tooth smile you know she hadn't had the dental work to make her teeth perfect and she had that natural mole on her lip i mean she was really sexy but also distinct as well on the one hand with blonde hair and some of her outfits kind of classic and you could sort of like put her in there with marlena dietrich which she references in vogue but at other times she is very distinctly herself and the other thing that's worth pointing out is her genuine name is madonna now her full name is madonna louise ciccone she is of italian stock but madonna is her name and it absolutely fits her perfectly of course the madonna is the Virgin Mary. So we've got another sort of like little connection to what she's doing and saying compared to her name and the imagery of women through the ages. I'm not just going to be talking about fashion about women, by the way, we'll be talking about men as well. So bear with me, guys, because we're going on quite the ride. What I'm going to do, first of all, is talk a bit about history that absolutely Madonna's part of. And full disclosure, this is actually, I've done a podcast in the past about my new book that's just full of historical facts weird and wonderful historical facts called slinkies and snake bombs it's available now in all good bookshops or amazon or wherever you get your papery goodness it is also available as an ebook and there is one on the ponytail so bear with me on this the term ponytail used to describe the popular hairstyle only came into common use in the 1950s but the style itself goes back a long way this is hardly surprising since since it's a convenient way for both men and women to get long hair under control pulling back the hair and securing it seems to be a natural thing to do but let's consider the impact of the ponytail on culture and history now, interestingly, the earliest images of a ponytail come from about 1600 BC in ancient Greece, where it was a hairstyle of high-born women. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Fast forwarding a few millennia, we come to the queue, which is French for tail. And this hairstyle was worn by men in 17th century China. When Manchuria conquered the rest of China and created the Qing dynasty, that went from 1644 to the end of Imperial China at 1912, the new rulers required the style consisting of a single braided plait to be worn by all male subjects. They shaved the front of their scalps and grew the hair from the crown of their head as a sign of submission. Cultivating the queue was a matter of honour as well as necessity, and failure to comply was punishable by death. In this instance, the style was associated with men rather than women and lasted right up to the end of the era in 1912. In the 18th century, both French and British soldiers had long hair, which they pulled back, but the British army banned it in 1800 in favour of shorter hair, as longer hair was felt to be unkempt and difficult to maintain. We'll be coming back to armies and hair in a little bit. In later 18th century Europe, men often had long hair, which they wore in a ponytail tied with a ribbon. By contrast, the hairstyle was deemed too childish for women, so ponytails were typically seen on young girls, but never on women at the time. The ponytail, both as a name and as a fashionable hairstyle, came into its own in the 20th century, when women reclaimed the ponytail for themselves. At first regarded as an informal style, it was highlighted as modern when the first ever Barbie doll appeared with it in the 1950s. I'm a Barbie girl in the Barbie world. It was made famous by Hollywood films, and it stars especially the girl next door, Sandra Dee, who helped to make it the height of fashion. It took the sexy French actress Bridget Bardot and a tussled version of the ponytail to kick it into the 1960s and make it a style for cool girls. It was reinvented again by Madonna, who made it a symbol of female empowerment on her famous 1990, same year as Vogue, Blonde Ambition Tour. By this time, men who wanted to appear rebellious or artistic or edgy were adopting the style too, which had grown in popularity since the latter part of the 20th century. Hairstyles today seem to rely more on the dictates of fashion than on gender stereotypes, and the ponytail has achieved equality by being readily adopted by both men and women. Has it peaked as a hairstyle? Based on the evidence of centuries, it is likely to be continually reinvented. So there we go. So Madonna even gets a mention in my book. And absolutely, again, if you're my age, you may remember the Blonde Ambition Tour. That was the one where she had the ridiculously long blonde ponytail and also the conical bra as well. It was sort of a very striking image. And there was even sort of stylized images of her. 
you know, just a few shapes and you instantly knew that's Madonna and she's doing this mega tour around the world at the moment. But when did fashion start? Well, clothing started obviously in prehistoric times. We have scraps of evidence and, and this is the thing. I, I remember once going to a site that was a, a Neolithic site and they had this mannequin. I always remember it because it's so brilliantly done. On the one side, they were just covered in animal pelts. On the other side, they were covered in animal pelts, but covered in painted patterns and swirls. In other words, the point is, we don't have any evidence of dyed materials or painted animal skins from that era. They just haven't survived. But we also know that human beings have always liked to decorate. We do have ancient prehistoric, and I'm talking about Mesolithic and sometimes Paleolithic beads that have holes in them that, that clearly were put on a necklace. Now the, the bit of twine has long since rotted away, but the little shiny pebble or shell in some cases remains with that hole that was obviously meant to be carried around. Now, does a shell have other uses? Potentially, but a teeny tiny shell is going to be a lousy skin scraper or something like that. So it was chances it was decorative. So we have always wanted to maybe not look our best, but at least identify that we want to show what we've got. If we go back to cosmetics, you'd think that the world of cosmetics is something from perhaps the era of Elizabethan England. We all know that Queen Elizabeth covered her face in lead white paint. Really bad idea. Please don't try this at home. Lead-based products are fundamentally toxic. But actually, no. We have evidence of forms of cosmetics going back to the times of the very beginnings of writing in ancient Babylon and also ancient Egypt. Babylonians, some women, would basically crush up shiny rocks, semi-precious gems, crush them up into a fine dust, in essence a bit like glitter, and then apply a wax to their lips, then apply the glitter, and hey presto, you're now looking fabulous. And something like that isn't a million miles away from what you might see in a modern day nightclub. The glittery type cosmetics is actually a very modern. When I was going to nightclubs in, let's say, the 1990s, not so much. There might be a little bit of, I don't know, glitter on the eyelashes or something like that. But so women have been using that glitter and lip, in essence lipstick. That is an early version of lipstick, ladies and gentlemen, and that's from about three and a half thousand years ago. And it's the same thing in ancient Egypt. You may know these very stylized images of Egyptians with the heavy kind of coal black makeup around the eyes. That was makeup. Chances are it's likely to be sort of soot and charcoal mixed in with some kind of uh, base, perhaps a bit of wax, perhaps a bit of paste or something like that. And so yes, both men and women had it. Also those luscious heads of hair, we know sometimes they were wigs. We also know for a fact that people like Hatshepsut and Cleopatra the 13th, which is the famous Cleopatra, sorry, 
Cleopatra the seventh. I don't know why I said thirteenth. The famous Cleopatra. She, because pharaohs tended to be men, female pharaohs would sometimes wear stick-on beards. Beard, madam. Sounds ridiculous. It's that very elongated beard that, again, the pharaohs themselves would have had stuck on as well. Nobody's got a beard like that big pointy outy thing. Think the Tutankhamun mask. So you've got wigs and and sort of fake added bits in these eras, thousands and thousands of years ago. The wig is really interesting because it sort of reached its peak in the ancient world, not in ancient Egypt, but in ancient Rome. The Roman Empire had lots of wigs and women in particular wore outrageous wigs. And this is one fact I love, kind of the antithesis of the wig. Julius Caesar, one of the most famous men in history, he suffered from male pattern baldness. I can relate to this. And he invented the comb over. And you know those laurels? I know you've seen these. The laurel leaves sort of like tucked behind his ears, sort of pointing out from the sides of his head. They didn't normally go there. They were quite often put round the neck, like a necklace, if you like, or hung on a banner. But he decided to put them round his head because it was an acceptable version of a crown. Yeah, but not a full crown because the Romans didn't like kings. That's why they, even in the imperial era, they still had the trappings of the Senate and things like this. Nobody could actually be a king. But the other reason was to cover up part of his bald patches as well. You've got someone like Julius Caesar inventing the comb over. You've got the Romans using wigs, but pretty much at the end of the Roman Empire, in the at least in the West, wigs stop becoming a thing. And they don't start coming back again until you get to the post-Renaissance era. Yeah, things like Charles I and Charles II and, you know, those ridiculously long, luscious locks are not theirs. They are actually wigs. I mean, do you know that some of your best friends have got wigs and you wouldn't even recognise them? You couldn't even tell. Queen Elizabeth I also had a wig. This is an era where there was an awful lot of body lice and basically nits and head lice and things like that. So one of the easiest things to do is just to shave it all off. Your ancestors would have spent a lot of time being slightly sweaty and slightly itchy <laughs> and slightly smelly as well. It's not a nice thought, but great, 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 great granddaddy was probably covered in lice. Hey ho. So you've now got these monarchs wearing these wigs, which means that everybody wants to start having wigs. The very best wigs were using human hair. Women would cut off their hair. When, I, when we last discussed wigs in the old format of this podcast with Greg, Greg has relatively long hair, and so does his beautiful wife. And they were cutting off their hair for basically this charity which created wigs for children who are undergoing chemotherapy, so they've lost their hair, but they're feeling a little bit embarrassed about that. It's a beautiful, wonderful charity. I don't know. Over the lockdown, maybe they did it again. Don't know. I don't know if Greg's going to jump in here and say anything. Well, as I've been invited by Jim, I'll leap in from behind the scenes to say, yes, it is a fantastic charity, the Little Princess Trust. And if you've got long hair and you're going to have it cut off, then it is well worth looking into what you can do for them. And yes, Jim, over the lockdown, my hair has been growing out. It's got pretty long. And sooner or later... I will be cutting my hair again for the charity. But I digress. So wigs were around again. And by the time you get to the American War of Independence, you do still get wigs. But by now, they're specifically grey wigs. So underneath that, what did men have? Well, they might have had some long hair or they might have had it completely shaved, you know, because they got lice or whatever. But these grey wigs were important. They were a sign of status. And people would spend a lot of money 
powdering their wig and sort of looking after their wig. Like I said, the most expensive ones were human hair, and the next level down was horse hair, which was coarser and didn't quite look right. But the interesting thing is, whereas there's wigs galore during, well, let's go to France, wigs galore in Versailles just before the French Revolution, and wigs galore during the American War of Revolution, but by the time you get to the Napoleonic Wars, no wigs. Where did they go? What's going on? Well, in Britain, they were becoming so expensive that they started to fade out of fashion. It was like, we can't be bothered, basically. But in France, because this was a sign of aristocracy and decadence, they were actively cut out by the revolution. Another interesting thing in the revolution, so for the French Revolution, used fashion to make various statements. There was the Phrygian cap, this sort of like slightly weird forward slanting cap. Phrygia is from the ancient Middle East, but it was seen as a place of sort of great knowledge and forward-looking society. None of this was necessarily true, but this was the image by the late 1700s, and so we will wear the cap of these people we aspire to be. We're using a piece of recognisable fashion from another time to put it on our heads and say something. And we're certainly not going to have wigs, because that's what the bad guys, the monarchy and the aristocracy all had, so we're going to ban those. They also banned women wearing trousers. You're wearing pants. Trousers, and yes, as are you. Do women in England do that now? And interestingly, the ban on women wearing trousers in France was technically still on the statute books into the 2000s. There may be one or two French women listening to this who had inadvertently been breaking the law by wearing those jeans back in 2001 or something like that. That shows you the power and importance of fashion there. Then I'm going to tell you a little bit about Going back to the Romans for a moment, a little bit of fashion that people get wrong. Because the thing is, whenever you see a statue or a painting, a bit of an exaggeration, or something like pottery and things like that, these are stereotypes. They're not meant to be taken as a photographic, realistic depiction of whatever. They're all stylized to a certain extent. And so if I say, what did Romans wear when they weren't in their legionary armor? Chances are you're going to say, oh, togas. Rome was dripping in togas. Yes and no. The best way to think of a toga is a dinner jacket. So if we're all going out to a ball today, women will wear a ball gown. You know, they'll suddenly wear these fabulous dresses that, you know, normally they're walking around in jeans and T-shirt, but suddenly wear amazing dresses. And the thing I always remember going to my first ball was those really long gloves. That, so women would have, like, no fabric on their shoulders, and yet they would cover their entire arm like a, a shirt sleeve with these really long gloves. I looked at them as like, they're, they're pretty, they're decorative, but surely they're quite hot. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Again, if any woman wants to sort of tweet at me, I'm at Jem Daduccio on Twitter. Please, as always, is this your first one? If it's like, oh, I fancy a podcast on Madonna. I've already mentioned various other podcasts. I, d I always take a piece of pop culture and take you through to some history behind what's going on with that piece of pop culture. Please, we've got more than 50 of them. Listen to them. Have fun. Click subscribe. Give us a review. Tell somebody about it. That'd be great. Thank you very much. But if you want to tell me how hot a ball gown is compared to standing there in jeans and T-shirt or going out clubbing, you know, just wearing a nice top and say I'm some, you're not allowed jeans in a nightclub, but that kind of thing. Which, what is the coolest way to actually, not cool as in kind of fashionable, but what is the actual way to get rid of heat out of, I would imagine it would be a linen dress, relatively short skirt so that heat can radiate out off your legs 
and off your shoulders and things like that, sort of strappy dress, something like that. This is where Jem reveals his limited knowledge of these things. So yes, the dinner jacket is easy. For, for women, I get that anytime there's a formal event, it's sort of like, what dress am I going to wear? Have I worn this before? All this kind of stuff. Whereas with men, it's like dinner jacket, okay? You know, white shirt, black tie, black jacket, black trousers, black shoes, easy done. The big question is what color is my cummerbund? And that's about it. The toga was the same thing. You wouldn't wear it day to day, just as you wouldn't wear a dinner jacket day to day. The reason why you see people wearing it is they're looking their best. They are at the Senate orating. So of course you're going to wear your suit there. And that's what a toga was. Actually, what most people wore was a simple tunic. This is something else that annoys me in movies when you see these sort of Roman soldiers and generals and they're not in a battle and yet they're still sitting there in their armour. Armour is uncomfortable and bulky and you're either too hot in it or you're too cold in it. It's it's just, it's designed to protect you. It's not designed to be comfortable. So as any opportunity to not wear the armour, you don't. But that's not what people see because it looks cool and we kind of, kind of thought that this is now the standard way of doing it. We bounced around low place, talked about wigs, ponytails, we talked about cosmetics. Last thing I'm going to say about cosmetics is by the time you get to the, the likes of, sort of Charles I and Charles II, you actually get cosmetics being banned in England. The idea is that basically on unmarried women, if you wore makeup, it was a sign that you were basically a working girl. And the idea behind it was, in essence, false sales, if you like. Nowadays, women, as I understand it, use makeup to enhance, but it could also be used to cover up. The, one of the reasons why Queen Elizabeth wore this sort of thick lead paint and why other women did so as well and had these fans and had these beauty spots that they tapped on was to cover natural blemishes on the on the skin quite often things like pox marks from having something like chicken pox or even worse small pox earlier on in life which could leave you facially scarred which is obviously going to make you a little less attractive so basically the idea was women of england you will not wear makeup so that men can know exactly what you look like and do you know what there's a little element of that today the last thing i will leave you with is if you look at all the enhancements, just natural off-the-shelf enhancements that a woman can get. I had a conversation about this with a girlfriend years ago, but like heels. Why do people wear heels or why do girls wear heels? Because it makes you a little bit taller. But the other thing I didn't realize is it tightens up your calf muscles as well. So it makes your legs look a little bit more toned. Then you might have support tights that kind of keeps the tummy in. Then you might have like a push-up or padded bra, which makes you look more curvaceous, Jem said politely. Then you'll have the makeup which might make your lips look fuller and your eyelashes fuller and so on and so forth so if you meet that individual dressed up like that and then perhaps you might have a nice fun adult evening together and the next day all of that's been taken off you might turn around and go who are you <laughs> you didn't look like that last night whereas with guys to be honest if we shave, that's probably the best you can hope for with us. What we look like in a nightclub is exactly what we look like when we wake up. Perhaps our hair isn't quite as mushed up and we do need to have a shave or something like that. But we... <laughs> I feel sorry for the women of the world because men we really really don't kind of put, it, put the effort in at times. Anyway, on that point, I'm going to wish you all a very healthy, happy and fashionable time. And yes, Madonna cutting edge of fashion for decades. Thank you for listening.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.